Hey everybody, uh, welcome to a very, very special episode uh, of the Day Drive. Um, just want to preface this before um, we kind of start. Um, you're about to hear an interview um, me, Lucas, and Chris conducted with the one and only Larry Thomas, uh, also known as the Soup Nazi. Uh, he's known for his portrayal of the Soup Nazi on Seinfeld from the episode The Soup Nazi. Um, there's a little bit of audio, um, you know, some audio problems. I'm, I'm fixing them and editing right now, actually. Um, so hopefully they don't turn out, you know, too catastrophic. I think they're fine. Um, but before you listen, I would, I would suggest you go and check out Larry's music. Uh, it's Larry Thomas on Spotify. Um, and on Apple music, um, check it out there. Maybe get a little taste before we kind of, you know, we, we, we get pretty deep. So, uh, would be good for you have some little bit of background um anyway you're about to hear that right now so here we go hello and welcome to a very special very special episode of the day drive here with us today we have a uh an emmy nominated actor author musician uh seinfeld alum some of you know him as the soup nazi mr larry thomas larry Right off the bat, how are you doing today? Good, I'm good. How are you? Uh, we really appreciate you taking a couple minutes here for us. Uh, I think first and foremost, we just want to say um, or ask you how your quarantine's going. Um, it's it's pretty weird. It's pretty darn weird. Um, my wife and I were just talking about, you know, uh, how strange life is and all the friends that we'd like to see that we can't see and um our own kids you know like I haven't seen my son in a month and it's just crazy you know and uh yeah so it's kind of wild um actually i think i mentioned to you in our emails i actually wrote a song about that uh when it's when i first started to realize what was happening and now it's kind of funny because now it's been like a, you know, three weeks since I wrote that song. And when I wrote that song, I was going, you know, the first line is in all my life, this is the craziest time. Yeah. Because I don't think any of us, yeah. nobody living has ever lived through this. My mother's 92 and, you know, I was just talking to her on the phone trying to explain she's in dementia so you just have to explain the same things again and again but i was again explaining to her today why why no one's coming to visit her yeah you know yeah every day she wonders how come my kids aren't coming to see me and it's like because we're not allowed so yeah that's what we had saw we had like initially looked at your music and seen your music and saw that you were actually like alone just yourself for the first few weeks yeah uh you know it was funny because before, I mean, we were about two weeks into knowing that we had a big problem. And um, my wife has kids in Chicago, but we live in LA. And someone advised her, I think it was the 18th of, of March, you know, today's like the last good day to get on the plane and go anywhere. So, you know, not having a lot of good information as we didn't have. I, I drove her to LAX and 
she got on a plane and went to Chicago. And as soon as she got to Chicago, everything got put under quarantine. So she was there, I was here. And uh, it was just really weird. I was afraid to go into any stores or, you know, uh, uh, I run every day, but uh, it was kind of weird. You know, like I run down the street and I see somebody coming and I run to the other side of the street. Sure. So, yeah, so, so it was just very strange. And I was talking to her on the phone and she was saying like, I'm going stir crazy here. And I was saying, yeah, same here. So, you know, I wrote the lyrics down first and then, uh, I took out my little electric piano and started like hitting out notes that felt like hysteria to me. Like, I'm still wondering if I should change, if I should change it to something more pleasant sounding, because as you heard, I literally started the first note of the song on the highest note I could possibly sing. Yeah. Which is not really pleasant, but it was supposed to sound a little scary and a little panicked. And uh, now I'm thinking about it and I said, should I just drop the octave and go like, in all my life, this is the craziest time, but you know, on the song, I can go like, in all my life, this is the craziest you know, because I was trying to sound, you know, panicked and crazy. So that was the purpose for writing it was just like, I know people must be feeling like this and I'll just put it on my Facebook page and, and say, hey, you know, <laughs> hope this makes you feel a little better. Yeah, I think it's definitely consistent with how everybody's feeling right now. Yeah. It is so crazy. And it's not getting it. You know, the, the really tough thing about it is, is, is it's not, you know, there's no, um, nothing in sight. Like we, we had a bunch of events. My, my wife runs a company in Chicago that's really a, a rather new company. Uh, we have a couple of goats there on a farm and she does goat yoga. She has her goat visit uh, um, nursing homes and just events and affairs and stuff. And of course that can't be done now, right. but um, you know, where we had some events planned. I had some events planned that were appearances, you know, by me. So a couple of people even sent me like deposits. And of course they had to postpone their events, you know, indefinitely. Um, or one event got, uh, they're gonna try to do it in June, but I was looking at the calendar the other day and going like, I don't think you know, by Even June. June. Yeah. And there's this convention uh, called WonderCon, which is actually the sort of little sister uh, uh, arm of San Diego Comic Con. And I've done it, I think, for 10 years in a row, it, more than any other like single event I've done. Uh, because, you know, there's, there's just like a, a little gaggle of, of people it used to be Richard Hatch who passed away, unfortunately, and uh, Bob Clark, you know, the Gorn from uh, from Star Trek, and and um, just a few other people that we sit there at our tables, Luferigno, and we just you know yak at each other and, and sell some stuff, and it was just so weird when I got 
the letter, you know, the email that said this year there'll be no WonderCon. Yeah. Um, because it would go, you know, they, they must get about 50, 60,000 people. Right. Uh, you know, um, so yeah, very, very, very strange. Uh, all the things that are going on. Certainly. Yeah, so if you have a little bit more time, we'd love to ask you, you know, a few more questions about your music. Yeah, sure. I, I've got a, at least another good 15 minutes. Perfect. Perfect, yeah. Uh, so our biggest question right off the bat about the music, um, what are your some, some of your biggest influences? Uh, you know, what drives you to make music? Oh, the Beatles. Um, I always told my son one of the proudest moments of my life was, when he was a teenager and he was getting into classic rock. Now he's more into, he's more of an aficionado of heavy metal. But he said, you know, dad, you're right. There's the Beatles and there's everyone else. So obviously I'm, I'm a Beatles fanatic. You know, I, I never get tired of listening to the same, you know, all their songs over and over. Um, but I'm a, I'm a real fan of, of, you know, all the guys, the, acts that were involved in classic rock from the you know late 50s to the late 70s i think disco came along and drove my it drove me off the radio you know i stopped listening to klos and stuff and i i all of a sudden got completely obsessed with like frank sinatra and bing crosby and tony bennett and Mel Torme and Billie Holiday and so I spent I would say most of the 80s collecting CDs um, of those kind of people and listening to that music um, I'm also a big Billy Joel fan I, I, I think the, I listened to his serious station I just think the world of his his brilliance of both like music and lyrics together and his ability to sound like other people, you know? Sure. Like he said it himself, he, he says, I don't really like the sound of my own voice, so I try to sing in a, you know, like other people I like. And he does it brilliantly, you know? Um, so big, big fan of his too. So yeah, I got a lot of musical influences. Um, yeah. So yeah, one specific question. Uh, you mentioned your son and in his involvement with metal music and his inspiration with metal music. And we've listened through all your tracks. And I guess the one that sonically sounds the most different would be Running, Running, Running. And uh, I guess uh, I'd just like to hear more about the story behind that song. That, and you know what? Um, I, I can attribute a moment of that song. I think the thing that made that song because, like I say in the explanation for it, uh, I wrote this little nursery rhyme when he was like one and a half, you know, running, running, running all around the block. And um, he's the one that rem remembered it for me a couple of years ago when I said, you know, I want to write, I already wrote a couple of songs, you know, one, one for a project and one for my wife. And I want to write you a song, but I want it to be like, heavy metal but I can't remember that melody and he actually remembered it and then I started you know writing the verse and stuff and trying to make it sound like what I think of heavy metal which is somewhat redundant you know 
Like it's got to sort of have a redundancy to it to to be in that style. So I was trying to do that. And then one morning I woke up really early and I was sitting there and all of a sudden this thing came into my head. Da 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 da. And I went, where is that from? And I was trying to think of all the songs I knew that I might be accidentally like stealing that from, you know? And the closest thing I could come to is the beginning of a song called Time Machine by Grand Funk Railroad, but it's not exactly, I listened to that just to make sure it wasn't the same. And then I went over to my little electric piano to try to find out what it was. And what it actually is are downward half steps from E to A. Just half steps, bump, 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 you know? Um, the white keys and the black keys, you know? Right. And uh, so I put it into the song, and then once I kind of felt like I had a song, I, I took it to my friend, Steven Costantino, who has his own recording studio, uh, Gamorian Sound, because he was, he's a musician, but he actually was one of the Gamorian guards in A Revenge of the Jedi. Um, or was it Return of the Jedi? I forget, you know, that Star Wars movie, the old one. Yeah. And um, so he was helping me piece it together. He's a really good guitar player. And so uh, he has an electric keyboard. And I, I said, here's like this thing that came to me that I think we can work off of. And I went, but up, 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 up. Because it's a guitar. And he just, and I went, that sounds like heavy metal. And he goes, that's the theme of your song. He goes, you gotta build everything around that. And we sort of worked from there. Um, my buddy, Tommy Curielli, who uh, he's playing drums right now for Rick Derringer. Uh, he was the last drummer for Donnie Winter before Johnny passed away. A really good rock and roll drummer. And I was talking to him about it and he goes, I'm, he lives in Florida. I live in LA. He goes, I'm coming. I want to play the drums on this thing. And I went, Tommy, I, I can't, I don't think I can afford. He goes, no, no. He goes, I'm, I'm coming. I got some miles on a plane, a voucher or something. And he, he jumped on a plane, came in. Stephen called some friends who have a bigger recording studio in North Hollywood. And uh, they set up a drum kit with uh, double kick pedals, you know, so it could really sound like heavy metal. And uh, yeah, we just, we we gave Tommy a click track and, and that, you know, that and, and I kind of sang the melody a little bit, you know, and he laid down the drums so amazingly, so, Steven and uh, a guy named Paul Erickson, who's his uh, engineer, sat there for about two weeks going over the drums. They, they like loved it so much, they were going like, we can't like, cut any of this out, you know? So they finally decided, you know, what parts they had to cut out enough to keep the drums in there. And then we worked the melody I had written around the drums. You know, we sort of used the drums as, as background.
like that other song I wrote from my wife, uh, It's Angela, yeah. Wi-Fi 2's. Uh, uh, this guy Vince came in with his bass and I gave him the lead sheet and he just goes, he goes, I'm thinking something like this. And he did this bass, this kind of 50s bass walk, you know? And it was so super cool sounding. I said, I, I, I'm going to design the song around that. So I changed some notes, I changed a couple of verses, you know, but I had to design it around that bass walk. So I don't know if everybody like records that way or writes that way, but like, so I write this skeleton lead sheet and then I take it to musicians who can play. So yeah, so with running, 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 it was basically, I took it to some guys that could play heavy metal Mm -hmm. And my son's buddy, Willie, who's only my son's age, he's 26. Um, he's a, just a wonderful bass player. He came in and Steven worked with him on the, on the bass track. And there are places where he's, he's uh, imitating the double kicks of the drums with a bass, you know? And uh, if, if you listen to the song, listen from where the bass mirrors the double kicks of the drums. It's really great. And he was able to play that fast, but his fingers were just going. And I was just going like, wow, man, you are, you know, going places. <laughs> so, so it was really cool to get to the end of, and I almost had Rick Derringer actually do that lead guitar uh, solo, but he was just so busy and so far away and we couldn't get together on it. So Steven, the producer, did that guitar solo which I think came out really good. So uh, I, the only real problem was, was Steven's head kept wanting to change the melody of running, running, running. And I said, no, that's the problem. It's, it, we, the chorus has to be this nursery rhyme. Right. Or else right. there's no gift. There's no gift in the song to my son. And he's going, but it just doesn't sound, you know, da 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 doesn't sound heavy metal. And I said, do whatever you can. So we, you know, we did some vocals, you know, some high vocals over it, uh, harmonies. And then he did some crazy guitar stuff, you know, during it, like, you know, that stuff he did on the guitar. Yeah. So uh, it, it finally came out sounding a bit heavy metal. So I was, you know, I really like that, like the the mixing with the nursery rhyme with heavy metal. That's that's great. And um, yeah, and you know the first the first 
song was Nico's song, and I'd really never written a song before that, but we, my friend and I had just uh, written, we had, well, we wrote it 10 years ago, but we decided to hire actors and actually direct uh, on camera this uh, sitcom pilot we had written, and it was in editing, and it's, it's kind of basically about a son who's, he, it's time, he wants to get laid for the first time, and his dads don't know what to do, so they end up, you know, in a brothel in Tijuana, and, you know, it turns out to a comedic sort of nightmare. But um, So that music video for that song, is that, the, is that from the pilot? Yeah, that's, okay. that's a song from the pilot. And so the editor just said at one point, when the son gets up and take, gets taken by the hand and goes off with the girl, he said, it would be nice to have like some sort of a ballad here. You know, and I went, yeah, you know, something about coming of age and and being afraid to, to you know, to become a man and not not be dependent on your parents anymore. Mm-hmm. And we would kept asking around for people. You got time to write, you know, musicians we knew. And nobody had time for us. You know, nobody that was musical was free and we couldn't afford to like hire someone, you know, good enough to hire. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know, I'm going to fool around with this. And so first I wrote all the lyrics as sort of a poem. And then I sat down on the, my wife was doing makeup on this movie and I was on the set with her and the guy had a, a grand piano in his living room. And uh, I said, do you mind if I play around with the piano a little bit? And he goes, no, not at all. So I just started playing with melody notes and just, you know, I, I mean, I know enough about music to know what each note is called, you know. And so I just had a piece of paper and I wrote C, D, you know, E, whatever. And then uh, I came uh, back to, we were in Arizona, I came back to LA and ran over to Guitar Center and just bought a cheap electric piano so I could come home and finish doing this. And I did that. Yeah, sort of, you know, I didn't know what it was gonna come out like, but I knew what I wanted to say. And then you know, I had this chorus of, you know, but now I don't know where I'm going. Um, and I don't know what I'll do when I get there. And how will I do this on my own without you? And Stephen uh, had been bugging me to come to his studio and fool around with him. Because one night at a party, um, there were a bunch of musicians and he was, he was doing One Way Out, you know, the Almond Brothers. And uh, I started singing it. And so we found out we both had this love of Greg Allman and the Allman Brothers. And he said, you gotta come fool around with me sometime. So I called him and I said, I got this song, but it's not really a song, you know, but I wanna make it a song. And so I went there and we started fooling around with it. There's this really cool little guitar thing that he added to it on the acoustic guitar. And then when I sang the chorus, he said, you know that without you, and I said, yeah, a little simple, isn't it? And he goes, no, that's 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 your hook. And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, sing it at the end of every line of the chorus. So we changed it from be, being only once to, you know, but now I don't know where I'm going without you. 
I don't know what I'll do when I get there without, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so again, suddenly I go, wow, now it actually sounds like a song. So producers are amazing. Very true. You know, to help your song sound like a song. And um, uh, I think that um, he helped me through the first two the, and and the one I wrote it's Angela that was that was really kind of funny because you know I, I said I want to write you a song and she's somewhat younger than I am she sort of grew up on like 80s and 90s music okay and that's when I stopped so I I had no connection I had no clue to something that might sound like that so I decided to just try to mix like every every kind of quirky interesting thing i can so i kind of came up with that who is it and i was on my i turned my piano into uh a xylophone and i was going that sounds kind of cute kind of cool and then she said there's just one thing i want you to do in it and i said what she goes tap dance she okay. likes to watch me. She likes to watch me tap dance. It's just something I learned when I was, you know, back in theater school in the late '70s. And um, I wanted one other thing because her mom, her late mom, played the accordion. So I said to Stephen, I said, "Does anybody, do you know anybody that plays the accordion?" He goes, well, "We can get an accordion sound on my electric piano." Sure. So sure. if you listen to the song, of course you'll hear the taps, yeah. and you'll here in the intro and between the verses you'll hear some accordion in there too and then and then like i said we we based it on that that bass walk that that vince did that was so amazing and um uh i wanted she's very um my wife is just very into like mythology and and uh spiritual spirit spirituality and stuff so i wanted to have mythology in the lyrics yeah you know so we, that's we why you get that, that, right, that right at the beginning yeah ulysses and the sirens of circe and you know it's funny too because a friend of hers once said what do you mean by don't tie me to the mast is that is that like <laughs> you saying you didn't want to get tied down and i said no they tied ulysses to the mast of the ship so he couldn't you know, follow the, the siren's call. Yeah. And I said, so I know I literally mean don't tie me to the mast. I'm already gone. You know? So, you know, that's where that one came in. And then, oh yeah. And then, and then the other one for my mom, um, was, was actually, uh, interestingly, uh, sort of simple. Um, I wanted a waltz because, of my mom's age, I said the only, the only way I know to sound sort of as old-fashioned as possible is is a waltz. You know, even though there there are some modern songs that are written in three-four time. You don't, if they're rock and roll oriented, you don't really hear that. Right. 
God, you know, that one, two, three, one, two, right. three, one, right. two, three, one, two, three. But I figured if I wrote it in that rhythm, it would sound like nice and old fashioned. And that's, you know, where I wanted because that was totally for her. And, um, uh, you know, the words were easy. They're all true. And by the way, the words in running, 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 you know, the verses, yeah. all that stuff's true. About him trying to stick his finger in the light socket and <laughs> he wanting him to wear a styrofoam hat and, you know, being not wanting to hit that. That was like, th those are all just factual statements that went on. But so it's the same thing with my mom's, the song from Ma. It's, you know, it's all true stuff, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. She did sing on the radio when she was, you know, a young beauty queen. And when my sister and I were growing up, she always made a scene. She was a single mom. My dad took off when I was a little kid and she had to do it all by herself in an era, you know, a full decade before women were allowed to have credit in this from from say you know, whenever until about 1972, a woman could only borrow money if her husband co-signed for her. Mm -hmm. So we drove around in like, and we had a 49 Plymouth with no back windows in New York. So when it would snow, my mother would just throw a blanket over my sister and I, cause snow would be coming through the back window. So, wow. you know, The strongest person I ever knew had the courage of a giant. She stood a bit under five foot two and faced the odds defiant. But fate handed her to life to raise and she had to go it alone. So many decisions, so many ways of fear to face the unknown you sold it all to find this better weather a journey from coast to coast and in the end you kept us all together in importance that was the most and so I have to say Doreen, Doreen the beauty queen sing around the radio Doreen, you always made a scene, but you found the best way to go. One must admit, for what you did, you showed a lot of chutzpah. And I was just the lucky kid who got to call you Ma. Anyway, yeah, so, um, again, you know, most of that stuff was true and that i produced with a different guy um otto diagnolo who uh, lives in phoenix and uh he's actually like produced for kenny rogers and wow you know wow. I, he's got a couple of platinum records and stuff mm -hmm. but um i felt like steven's such a rock and roller you know um i called otto one time and uh, Otto produced those cover songs I sang, uh, What's Forever For, Until Tomorrow. 
Um, and those were just birth, those were gifts from my wife. She knows I love to sing and I don't, you know, I, n I never like recorded. Sure. So, so she got together with Otto because he was her friend. And she goes, I want to give my husband a birthday present. And he said, what? And she goes, I want you to produce, you know, a song that he could sing. And Great. so I picked What's Forever For at some point because I've been hearing it on the radio, I guess. Um, I listen to The Bridge a lot, you know, on Sirius. And yeah. um, so uh, we that was the first thing I ever recorded. And uh, I had done like singing, you know, on stage, like Broadway musical kind of thing, you know, in theater. And uh, some of that stuff is even on, on my YouTube station and on my website. Yeah. Um, it was like early video camera stuff. But um, so I got into his little vocal booth and the first run through, I came out and he goes, so listen to this. And I listened to it and he goes, how does that sound to you? And I said, like I'm, like I'm yelling at everybody, you know? And he goes, yeah, I appreciate the passion, but you're like, you know, you're like on a Broadway stage, you know? And he goes, how would you like it to sit down? And I said, like I'm talking to somebody. And so he, um, he just said, try to do that. So you know, he had a, a mic with a little metal cage around it. And I went back into the vocal booth and I put both hands on the cage of the mic. And I just got right up to it. And I imagined myself putting my hands on my wife's face, on a, you know, like this. And me being that close to her. And that's how I sang it. And then I came back out and he goes, now listen to this. <laughs> and I went, wow, that sounds like a pop singer. And he goes, yeah. He goes, is that what you want to sound like? And I said, definitely with this, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm singing a song that, um, got, what's his name that, that uh, made a hit out of that. I know everybody else, I, other people sang it, but, uh, that was his name. I you hate this when you when you know someone's name very well but it doesn't come to you when you want it to. Never fun. Never fun. But uh, oh God, it'll come to me. But anyway, it's such a beautiful voice. Uh, and he sang that song in the '70s, uh, "Wildfire" about the horse. Trent calling wildfire. You know, and and uh, it's such a pretty little voice, and I thought. Okay, that's yeah, that's what that song should sound like. So, in that session, I learned my first bit about, you know, how recording, you know, is much different than belting something out on a Broadway stage. Mm -hmm. I, I say Broadway. I haven't actually been, I've done Broadway shows, but not on Broadway. You know, I've done some tours and whatever, and I've, you know, stood there shouting at the audience. But they, they said that about Ethel Merman because, um, you know, she never had a flop in, in her entire Broadway career. And I guess one of her reviewers said something like, in, in this show, 
Um, and Merman did what she always does. She squared off with the audience and yelled at them, you know? And so that's, you know, the best uh, way to sing stage musicals is just to belt it, you know? So um, recording is, of course, so much different, you know? And, uh, and uh, to me, the, the, the thing that impresses me most is singers who play. Because yeah. if you look at that video of uh, a simple song of quarantine, yeah, I would I would sing that so differently if I wasn't staring at the piano, mm -hmm. trying to think, you know, going like, here's where you go to, because there's three chords involved, and I I know before which note I have to, switch. you know, I'm not real playing all that music, it's just can, but but it'll respond to the chord, it'll change the whole background to that chord you hit. Sure. And trying to remember that, you can't at all um, pay attention to the words. You know, I'm not right. saying nobody could. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, Eric Clapton does it quite well. Sure. But, yeah, yeah. BB you know, King, whatever, but, but I can't. So like I need somebody else to be playing the piano so that, you know, um, and I think with, with, the, with the song Ma that I wrote for my mom, um, that was the closest to like first take I had done because mm -hmm. we got this really good piano player, uh, uh, um, Tony Zale and a, a good stand up bass player, Peter King and I was in the vocal booth and they were playing and I had the headphones on and what they were playing was so pretty that it just made me to sing it softly and nice and Anna went, man, that, that's almost a take. He goes, I'm going to have you do a couple of lines over again. I want to hear you do something more with your voice. Like, he goes, the line before the last line, I want you to sound a little more Broadway. And he goes, then on the very last note, I want you to get it as soft as you can without your voice disappearing completely, you know? But, but other than that, we almost got like a take on that because of those guys were playing it so, so beautifully. And, um, you know, so I can imagine what, what life might be like if I, if I had a band and I was allowed to just sing. Yeah. Right. You know, Are you, be, any plans for that in the future? Are you gonna write more with the band and, and more with the band? <laughs> well, I don't. You know, I don't know. Like right now, I, 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 I would love to, to record a version of a simple song of quarantine, yeah. but we can't yeah. go anywhere right now and get together with anyone. So I think. If life ever gets back to normal and we're like allowed to be in each other's presence again, yeah, I think I will go to Steve and, um, you know, and say, can we get a couple of guys together to play and and turn this more into a song? Like it probably needs a bridge because ideas change in that song so fast from, you know, the panic of, you know, I need to know the truth, you know. Uh, what is it, you know, what's really going on now, I want to know. And I feel my soul needs some truth for my spirit to grow. And then before it changes to the idea of, you know, 
something to make us all feel calm. It needs some kind of a musical bridge, which I can't do. But if I if I get a, either a good you know guitar player or a good piano player, they'll be able to put a bridge in there and, and make a real song out of it. So you know, it's sort of song by song. I I don't know if I'll continue you know writing new stuff because I mean it's certainly not for the money yeah right um yeah right you know even I heard Don Henley say recently he goes you know you don't make money from writing and recording songs anymore you you make money from touring right you know right that's something I don't see happening because <laughs> you know what I mean I I I I, I all those singing singing live would be fun and, and I've, I've i've stood in sometimes like i've been in places where i've been doing say an appearance for a golf tournament charity or something and then we all go to a bar and there's a band and they go like hey Supernauts, you want to sing something and i go like uh how are you guys on johnny be good and they go we know it you know and i'll get up there and i'll sing johnny be good or 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 under the boardwalk or you know right. something that i i know really well and then one time there was this band and uh they said you have like a soup nazi song and i said well there, there isn't one but i said back in the 80s uh when i was a member of an improv comedy group we used to do the improv blues and we didn't actually have music. All the other members would stand there and go, ba -da -da -da, bum, bum, ba -da -da -da. and then you just you ask the audience, you'd go, what gives you the blues? And they'd go, you know, the mail being late or something. And so you'd sit there and go, I get up in the morning, ba -da -da -da. I look for the mail, ba -da -da -da. it feel like a dog chasing my tail you know what i mean and you would yeah. just rip on the blues so i remember this one man i said could you guys just give me like a common blues riff and they did and i somehow made up the no soup for you blues you know I, I can't remember what all the lyrics were but i did manage to end up with i got the no soup for you blues and uh the audience had a lot of fun with it. So, so um, I have actually had the extreme pleasure of, yeah, of being up there live with uh, some good musicians. Um, there was a, a, a guy in Pittsburgh once who was just a singer guitar player and he, he said, you wanna come up and sing something? And he asked, he goes, do you know, uh, um, feeling all right and I went yeah yeah I do and I said but you're gonna have to like lead me into it and he literally stood there playing the guitar going like <laughs> like that and going like seems I've got to have a change of scene and I hear my wife on the phone so I can't do this but uh you know sort of like I don't know exactly where to come in so you just like look at me and, uh, so, so yeah, it's a lot of fun, and um, I think it would be more fun than than anything else right now to go around to put together, 
you know, a band. And even with the four songs that I wrote to go around doing nothing but performing them. But that would be like life going, you know, here's a lottery ticket <laughs> with a winning number. Right. You know, so, um, but uh, it's, it's fun. And I envy so much, you know, really gifted uh, players. And, you know, again, as I say, I, I listened to Billy Joel on his channel talking about what I'm talking about, what inspired him to write this and why he wrote it this one. He's way over my head, you know, he's talking about, you know, methodical chord structures and, mm. you know, I, I, so I threw this against a common 4-4, four, four, you know, and I'm going like, huh? But, but I, you know, um, I could, I, I could almost, I can't, I, I don't know if I know why he doesn't write anymore, but I do know why he still loves to, to, to play. Yeah. You know? Have you ever um, listened to any of his classical compositions? Um, a little bit. You know, on, on his channel, they played some, and you could, you could hear, you know, the, the similarity between, like, his song Lullaby and his song, um, uh, what's that? Um, I'm losing it again. Uh, and so it goes, you know? And you could almost hear him, like, getting classical with those songs. Um, but yeah, I've heard very little, but they played one or two, and, uh, yeah, classical music, there's there's something, you know, I, I used to uh, use classical music. I had a, um, this back in the days when I had an eight track and I had a classical eight, like various classical songs. And I used to use it to, to like relax and go to sleep to, you know, because it takes your head in all kinds of different places like suddenly you're in a field you're in a you know what i mean yeah, yeah. it takes yeah, you yeah. to such beautiful places and, and uh yeah you know that would be that would be something so neat for somebody to go wow you know your song i listened to your song and it took me to you know a field of roses or you know what i mean yeah to know that yeah. you can transport people which i think that's what music is, is meant to do you know I, I think these days it's just to make you dance you know what i mean and uh it's like if it doesn't make you dance it's no good anymore yeah um yeah so you don't need melody at all you know you just you just need some some pounding and and a rhythm that people can dance to and uh that's it's it's tough on on me uh you know being an old guy from the old school because i miss melody so every once in a while you know like the stuff that lady gaga did for the new remake of stars born and you know john legend stuff and you hear these melodies 
and it just takes you back, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's a beautiful melody. Wow, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're all big fans of that. We're all big fans of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, beautiful melodies are, are still out there. Like, you know, they can still write them. But, um, you know, I don't get rap. I don't understand why people want to hear it. I'm not putting it down, you know, but when I hear it, I, I look at the person next to me that's enjoying it and I go, now, what is it that you're getting out of that? Because I don't, you know, I miss a melody, you know, even ro a rock, good rock and roll melody, you know. Sure. Um, sure. You know, but there's no melody really. So you're just, you're just going like, ah, you know, don't get it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, one more question before we wrap up, kind of um, moving away from the music a little bit. I was, I was wondering um, if you've ever had any kind of crazy interactions with with people, um, like on the street, you know, fans, um, you know, soup Nazi fans, anything crazy, anything wild? Yeah, that you know, that happens quite a bit. Um, uh, not quite a bit, but. You know, every once in a while, someone just goes, you look like the Soup Nazi from Seinfeld. Yeah. And then kind of depending yeah. on if I have time or not. If I don't have, if I'm in a rush, I got to go like, yeah, I get that all the time. <laughs> but if I have time, I go, yeah, that was me. I did that. That was one of mine. And, and then I'll talk, you know. Like, I remember one time I was in the, not too long ago, I was in the 99 cent store. And um, I was on my way to my mom's and I had to pick her up some snacks. And I was running really late. I was really in a hurry. And this guy comes up to me and he goes, hey, no soup for you. And I went, yeah, that's funny. And he goes, that's you, isn't it? And I went, oh, no, no, it's not, it's not me. He goes, yeah, it is, man. Yeah, it is, man. It's you. And I go, oh, no, no, no. I just, I, I look like that guy. But I do, yeah, it's funny. And he kept going, are you sure it's not you? But I didn't have time, you know. Like, I really had to get out of there. And. So it's pretended not to be me. Um, and then everyone, you know, sometimes like when I used to ride the, uh, you know, here in LA, we have that uh, limited subway system. Um, and I was on the, the red line and, you know, there were a gaggle of people with enough people in between us so they couldn't possibly see me. And I heard one of them go like, oh yeah, well, those are for you. Whoa. And they were all laughing Whoa. and giggling, and I'm standing there just going, like, this, <laughs> this would be funny if, like, they knew that that I was, like, 10 to 15 feet away from them. But, you know, they don't. They're just right. saying it. So It's really incredible how that, one, really line incredible been, how that like, one line has been such a big part of the culture part of at large culture. now. At you large hear it all now. the time. You hear it all the time. Yeah, it's, it's astounding to me. Um, I don't, I don't get it. Can't figure it out at all. You know, I spent 40 years playing all kinds of different characters, thinking I got it right and everything. And this one thing, um, not only won't die, but actually gets popular, you know, year by year. And um, and I don't mind doing it. You know, uh, some years back, a guy from the Rolling Stone wanted to do an interview with me. And he was going like, you know, most of these guys, you know, like 
you know, the guy that's like Greg Brady, you know. He doesn't like to be referred to as Greg Brady, but like you embraced being called the soup Nazi. He goes, can you say something about that? And I went, yeah, I can say something about that. I'm being interviewed by Rolling Stone. I said, I'm not even hip enough to read Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're not interviewing me because Larry Thomas is hip. You're interviewing me because the soup Nazi's hip. You know? He's, he's hip enough. It'll never go away. Young people like him. You know, just yeah. kind of. Yeah. I mean, he might as well have a pair of Wayfarers on, you know, <laughs> like Jack Nicholson or something. But so he's this hip guy. And, and by some strange coincidence, I'm him, but I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm not hip in any sense of the word, but he remains hip. And um, somebody, uh, um, re recently uh, ran into Jerry and and had him throw a little like something at me you know in a phone video uh -huh. and uh -huh. he actually said to me he goes hey Larry do you realize that you and I are the only two people that are still playing the character we played on the show you know because <laughs> oh, you're still so doing funny. the suit Nazi and I'm still playing Jerry and I went, you know, his brilliant observations, of course. And I went, God, you're right. <laughs> We're the only two left that are still playing our characters. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, all kinds of bizarre, weird things happen with it. And uh, I do a lot of cameos, you know. Uh, the Soup Nazi now gives people advice on um, quarantining, Mother's Day, birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, uh, you name it, you know, that people want me to, you know, tell my friend what to do in this particular case. And then I just do silly things like I always revert back to soup. You know, sure. Like, sure. You know, you know uh, I've done a couple of times where it's been a guy's 64th birthday, you know, and I go, so now you're 64. Now you know what Paul McCartney meant by, will you still need me? Will you still feed me? He was talking about soup. <laughs> know that now, you know. And uh, so I do silly things like that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it doesn't go away. And who would have thunk Seinfeld would be the multi-generational show about, you know, poor self-absorbed New Yorkers. <laughs> <laughs> it's really incredible. It's really incredible. incredible. Yeah, I guess here we just want to say um, thank you once more for uh, for taking the time out of your day, out of your out of your quarantine to come speak with us. We we've really enjoyed chatting with you. Well, thank you, thank you guys, and, and thank you for doing what you're doing while everyone's in quarantine because we all need you know stuff to listen to, and, um, you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure that more people are listening to podcasts and stuff than ever before, you know, because um, we need to hear people talking about stuff, especially, uh, uh, you know, those that are not quarantined families, but those that are quarantined individuals, which has to be a little crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But thanks so much for this because the, the music thing is something I never get to talk about you know people only want to hear about the soup Nazi and you know I go like hey I also wrote a few songs yeah 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 but you know what was it like working for Larry David you know? yeah right we've been loving the songs and we've been listening to them all week thank you so much thank you and I appreciate it 
Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. Do us all a favor. Check out Larry's music. It is on Spotify. It is on Apple Music. I believe it is on YouTube. Uh, check out realsoupnazi.com. Uh, maybe buy a cameo from from uh, the Soup Nazi himself, maybe to a loved one or a friend during this crazy time. Um, really appreciate the listens. Real talk. We're out of here. Big thanks. <laughs>